Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content of the Human Capital Institute, and this is Nine to Thrive HR. Today's episode is brought to you by the good people at LimeAid. So to learn more about LimeAid and all the great work they do, be sure to check them out at www.limeaid.com. And today we are lucky to be joined by Dr. Liz Pavesi Kaplan, the Senior Director at the LimeAid Institute. And as a talent management and employee experience practitioner for over 10 years, Liz has true passion for marrying the art and science of psychology within an organization's context to ensure leaders and employees have the right tools at the right time for sustainable change. Liz, welcome to Nine to Thrive. Thank you for having me, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. So we, before we dive all the way in on this, I, I want to give you a chance to tell people a little bit more about what you do at LimeAid. Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a member of the LimeAid Institute, which is a team within LimeAid that is responsible for researching, translating, and scaling our research on well-being, care, engagement, and inclusion. So we partner with every team across LIMA to accomplish this, to really integrate our point of view, our methods, our methodology into our product, um, and to really enable our customer success teams to bring the latest and greatest of advisory and research to our customers. And my team specifically does a lot of work um, with our, our customer success group, um, and we do get involved uh, with a variety of our amazing customers that are trying to improve employee experiences within their organizations. Fantastic. I think it's always great to uh, get a sense of the, uh, the guest background and what, their, and what their focus is right now. So um, without further ado, I'm going to dive in here, and uh, we're talking about culture today, and uh, I think it's always a great idea when you're discussing a, a term like that is to really define culture. So, Liz, when uh, when we're talking about culture, what are we talking about, and, uh, and could you share some examples of it? Sure. Yeah. Oftentimes, culture can be seen as a very ambiguous or intangible concept, um, but the fact is, is that as employees, we feel what culture is. And so from a formal definition perspective, culture really is the collective norms, values, and beliefs of an organization. It really represents the core of who that organization is, similar to how personality is to us as human beings, right? It represents our core ways of, of operating and working and what lies underneath um, and really ultimately drives our behaviors, our actions. And very often the way that I like to, to talk about culture and one metaphor that's often used is this idea of an iceberg, right? So when you're in an organization, um, what you see in an organization are often the representations or the artifacts of culture, which if you apply it to that iceberg is just the little piece above the water that you can see. Right. So what you see, how you experience your culture is just a small part of what culture really is. As you go further below the surface, you know, we often talk about and see this in um, the representation of values in an organization. So that's where the values come into play. It articulates what our culture is, what we want to be. But as you go further into the water, really below the surface, where the biggest part of the iceberg is and kind of the, the core and biggest parts of what our organizations are is 
the norms and beliefs, those deep rooted kind of normative um, beliefs of what drives our behaviors. That's the core. So the other important factor of culture is the, the term that I called upon before of collective. It's shared, right? When you have more than two people together in a room, there will be a culture. And so you start to develop that shared sense of norms, values, and beliefs that will guide how you interact with each other. That's uh, that's really great. I think, and it is a great, uh, I think, point to make that even when there's two people or three people in a room together, there's a there's a culture that's been created just by that combination of people being together. And it's funny how things can shift. Like uh, I think about that often with friends, where if I'm with one group of friends, or and you take away one person and add another friend, it it changes the dynamic drastically sometimes. Definitely. Absolutely. But you asked about a couple examples, right? Yeah. So how does that kind of, how does culture really show up and how do you really experience that? Um, one way that we really can think about how that culture kind of shows up and the difference between what you experience versus what might be driving what you see is when you're a new employee starting um, with a new organization in a new role, right? You can imagine the first day that you show up, uh, you walk into an office building and you see people really heads down. It's maybe quiet. It's kind of the opposite of that frenetic energy, right? People very, very studied, very focused. You see maybe, you know, the most beautiful articulated plans on, on whiteboards. It's not, you know, scribbled and doesn't look like brainstorming. It looks very thought out and methodical. And you might start making some assumptions about, you know, what, what it's like to work there. You might have the perception that people don't talk. They don't really interact. It's not as highly collaborative. Um, you might make assumptions of, oh, it might be kind of command and controlling here, right? People just seem very very heads down and and not want to interact. Maybe it's kind of a punishing environment. You could also make assumptions that they're really investing in discovery and research. You know, maybe they're super focused on on the creation and innovation that they're in deep thinking time. But until you start asking why, you don't really know which of those are the actual culture, right? Or the, how that's representing the actual culture. So as that new employee, you start to experience as you interact with more people and you start to kind of hit your, I, I like to think about it as like hitting your head on that culture wall where it starts to come to life what those values are and you have those aha moments of, oh, that's why we have this, these quiet, dedicated times. It's because we're trying to solve, you know, the next kind of innovation in, in, our, in our product or our service for our customer. Right. So it's super important to dig deeper and ask why. Yeah, I think that's a great example of uh, you see something and then you make an assumption, but you don't know the whole story when you're a newcomer. So I, I think that's a great place to start with what is culture, um, some examples. Uh, I guess the next question is, why do we care about it? What's the big deal about culture? Absolutely. 
So there's a lot of things we could talk about in terms of why it's a big deal, but um, I'll pick five kind of key things that I think are, are really important um, and why we should really care about it and be incredibly intentional about our culture. The first is that culture is incredibly powerful. It shapes behavior. It tells us how to behave and what is acceptable. It tells us what to pay attention to. It tells us how to respond and interact with others. Um, so it is what helps employees operate in their organizations. So it's super powerful. Culture can also help create a much more aligned organization. So when you are very clear about what you're trying to accomplish from a strategic perspective, and then you're also clear about how you want your people, your employees to act and engage and integrate in such a way that reinforces that direction, you will have an exponential impact in what you can actually achieve in those stated strategies and goals. Um, so it helps kind of create alignment with your strategy. It helps to also create alignment in how you integrate and socialize employees within that context. Um, and it helps you set very clear expectations because once you've articulated what it is you need to be successful, you can set very clear standards in how you help employees grow and develop in what you focus on and how you evaluate performance in how you reward and recognize employees, um, in how you hire employees. So it can get integrated and, and help align from a, a very people practices standpoint. The third reason we should care about a culture is that it really helps us get better results. Um, and it goes back to that idea of, of alignment. So if you have the culture you need to successfully execute against your strategy, you will see greater returns in both um, people results and business results. And there's a ton of research out there that demonstrates this. Um, and just for one example, there was a study done in 2011 by Cotter and Heskett that looked at how aligned or misaligned a culture was to the business goals of the firms that they included in this study. And when they found greater alignment between the cultural elements and the strategic goals, companies had far superior revenue growth, employment growth, stock price, in addition to a whole host of other outcomes. The fourth reason we should really care about culture is that um, board of directors are caring much more about culture than they ever did before. I'm happy to hear that, um, but I also think, you know, it puts, it really puts the spotlight on the fact that culture is core to the organization and that you have to be intentional about it. And so in a report that came out from the National Association of Corporate Directors, I believe it was earlier uh, this year or, or in 2019, in late 2019, one of the key recommendations in this report is that senior leaders not only need to care about culture, but they need to do the intentional work to integrate the norms and values into the fabric of organizational life. Right? So, so boards will be caring about it more and putting probably more pressure, um, I suppose, on, on leaders to, to be paying attention um, and reporting back on, on progress. And then finally, culture is, is really unique, right? It's 
it's unique to each organization. And that's why it's back to my first point, super powerful. You can't replicate, you know, one organization's culture into another organization because you're trying to achieve very unique and different things. And so there's an opportunity to kind of double down on the fact that, you know, you can create the kind of an environment that not only kind of harnesses and unleashes that employee potential and and creates the, the amazing employee experiences that you want to create for your people, but done so in such a way that aligns, you know, the work that you're doing um, to their future success of your business. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a really important way of, uh, of looking at how it all ties together into the business success and the health of everybody involved in making it happen. So let's talk more about this, um, this concept of a culture of care. Uh, why does that matter in particular? Yeah, it's such a it, care is not, I think, the common term that you'll hear, um, particularly organizations and, and even um, HR professionals talking about. But what it comes down to is about how you're feeling valued, respected, the perceptions of fairness. Those are all things um, that matter when it comes to that. Do I feel cared about? And so what we're starting to see in a lot of the research that we're doing at Limeade, and as well as a, a whole host of, of other research that exists um, in literature, is that when employees feel that their companies care about them, we also see better returns from an overall employee experience perspective, um, as well as for businesses. And caring for employees as human beings is also, you know, we just believe the right and foundational thing to do. Um, so let me just share a couple of examples of some of the work that we're doing at Limeade and what we're finding around this concept of, of a culture of care. So a, a few years ago, we partnered with um, Quantum Workplace on a study to, to begin the work on, on exploring this concept. And we, we found that employees who reported that their organization cares about their overall well-being are 38% more engaged than employees who stated that their company does not care about their employee well-being or holistic well-being, really. Employees who feel cared for also have higher levels of well-being. Um, they also feel um, more included and have a, a higher sense of belonging um, with their organizations. They also, you know, employees who feel their org cares about them have higher intentions to stay. So you'll have a, a greater propensity to, to retain folks when you can, as an organization, you know, put practices into place that demonstrate care, uh, as well as, um, you know, you're more likely to create employees as advocates. They'll be more likely to recommend your company as a great place to work. So those are just a couple of examples. I also, you know, when you kind of take into account what is happening in our global environment, the pandemic that we are all experiencing, where fear and uncertainty are at an all-time high for, for people and in so many dynamic ways, this is when care matters even more because we spend so much time at work that we have a responsibility to create the most impactful experience um, for people day to day. 
right? I think it's somewhere around 75% or more of our time is spent in a work environment. And so I think that, you know, organizations have a really important opportunity here, particularly in our global context, to double down on this idea of, are we caring? Are we doing the right things to show that we care for our, our people? And I think that, um, you know, Brian Kropp, who's the chief HR research officer at Gartner, said this beautifully in, in, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, how companies manage the next five months will define their reputation as employer for the next five years. And I think that is an incredibly powerful statement and very, very true. So if we can take the time to show employees that they're valued, that we are providing the right resources, support, being transparent, having timeliness and predictability in how we're communicating and, and looping back with employees, we can really set a totally different tone in what it means to, to come to work every day and be a part of something. Yeah, it's funny. Before you brought up the uh, the remark about the way we handle the next five months is going to determine essentially how we're perceived for the next five years. I was talking with somebody about uh, doing a presentation with us and and he mentioned that exact same point that this is, you know, this is the crunch time of uh, where you, how do you show up as an employer uh, to your employees? Like they're really paying attention to that right now. Absolutely. It's a make or break moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely a big game clutch situation. Um so, and I would also imagine it matters too how the employee, you know, what kind of relationship did you have with your employees uh, experience wise leading up to it? Because um, that's also going to determine probably how people behave going through it is if they felt kind of abandoned and not cared for uh, going into the pandemic, you're going to have to do a lot of extra work to, uh, to win them back in a time where it's, you know, it's a lot scarier and more uncertain. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have that foundation of, of kind of trust in that, in that relationship. Okay. So I want to make sure we, uh, we get to all the questions I have for you here. So I guess uh, we were kind of leading into this, starting to discuss it already, but what does a culture of care feel like uh, in your formulation? How does that, how does that show up for the employee? Absolutely. Um, so you started to talk about this right around that that dynamic relationship between the organization and an employee. And through that dynamic relationship, trust gets built or it doesn't, right? And so the way that we can maximize a sense of trust in that relationship, which then, you know, if there's a reciprocation of I'm taking care of you, you're taking care of me, then employees can start to really, you know, kind of bring their whole selves into, into work. And so what are the things that we do to help amplify that trust and amplify that feeling of care is there's open and transparent communication, right? So it feels that there's, there's transparency, there's predictability in what I'm hearing. There's open information sharing. It feels like I'm involved and can have a say in the, in the decisions that impact me. So there's autonomy that's important. Um, it also feels like the organization has done its job to make it easy for me to access the tools and resources and support that I need in my role to be effective, productive, and efficient. Um, and I can see that 
I'm not just treated as an employee, you know, kind of for lack of a better way of saying it, producing widgets, but an employee where I am not only being looked at and looked toward for the contributions that I'm making to our goals, but in how I can, you know, really enhance my sense of, of well-being and connect with employees and be a part of, of something greater and bigger. So there are many things that um, it can feel like when it when you are cared for, um, but it really has to come from the actions that are taken from an organization to help set up the opportunity and conditions for that to come to life. Absolutely. Actions speak louder than uh, than words or flowcharts or <laughs> any of that. Um, so uh, that I mean, that leads naturally into my final question here is how do you... Uh, we know what it looks like. We know what we're aiming after. I guess, um, uh, how do you change your culture to uh, to to become more of a caring culture? Yeah, uh, it's it's a great question, and it's a lot of work, right? Being intentional about how it is that you want employees to to engage, behave, interact. It takes time to to change. Um, I like to equate kind of culture change to it's behavior change. If you think about from an individual perspective, the the terrible habit or the terrible behavior you've been trying to change for a long time, how much intentionality and work does it take to replace that, um, that behavior that's not working for you anymore with something that's more adaptive? It's a lot of work. Then you multiply that by, you know, hundreds or thousands of people that's a lot of work, <laughs> right? Um, but it's not impossible if you're thoughtful about it. And so the first thing that I would say is you can't focus on the surface level stuff, right? So kind of going back to that iceberg analogy, when you just focus on how you how culture manifests, what it looks like or what you think it is on the surface is not going to actually change it. Right. So having more pizza parties, throwing in a ping pong table, um, those might help kind of boost, you know, productivity or a sense of collaboration or a sense of connectivity, you know, for a, a little bit. But it's not actually changing the behavior. So you first really need to start out with stating why you need this culture. Why do you need to change? And the best way to answer that is to put it against what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. What is your business strategy? What are the key goals? Um, and do we have the right culture uh, in order to help us get there? So it's it's starting with with why you need it and then saying, well, now what do we need to do to change? Articulating the new behaviors, the new ways of acting, and oftentimes the way that we see that definition is um, in stated values, right? A lot, many companies um, have values and those are kind of the first representation of, of how you've defined the culture that you want. You then have to do the work to teach people and help people learn about, well, what do these behaviors mean in practice? Um, why are they important? Why is it important that we were needing to go from being incredibly um, numbers focused to maybe more quality focused? Um, 
articulate why that transition is important and then integrate it into the fabric of your company. You have to reinforce, you have to first teach people why, what, how, but then it has to be reinforced. So how is it showing up in how we hire new employees? How are these values or our cultural beliefs being reinforced in what we're looking for in people in new hires? How is it integrated into how we look at performance, um, how we evaluate it, how we distribute rewards and recognition? Um, how is it showing up in the first initial onboarding and integration of those new employees? Other ways to think about how to integrate and reinforce cultural values is in the way you've architected workflows and business processes. Um, so if, you're, if your company is trying to be more efficient and you're implementing a new um, HCM system, how did the way that you architected the business flow in those processes, how does your culture show up in those, right? So it's, it's trying to tackle it from all different angles. Those are a couple of the most important things um, to think about when you're transforming your culture. There's many, many other things, you know, that are a part of, of change and, and good change management, but those are the places I would start. Well, I can't say better than that for uh, just one question on a podcast. I think you did a pretty good job. I, that is the end of our time together today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Liz Pavisi Kaplan, for coming on. And uh, I want to remind everybody, once again, this episode was brought to you by LimeAid. Be sure to check them out at LimeAid.com. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like this podcast and rate it and subscribe to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.